Jesus, we thank you for all of the incredible work that you have done in the past. Thank you for laying down your life in order that we might have life. We thank you for, for unifying us together with you, saving us from our sin and from ourself, and God, for putting us together as a body. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to understand how we fit together and how we grow together. Lord, I pray that you would do the work that only you can do. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, you can be seated, and I'm going to ask the Gagnon family to come up this morning uh, as we begin. And this is a, a little bit of a special, uh, special time. This is typically not uh, what we'll do on a Sunday morning. But um, Ryan has been in the process on the journey for, um, I don't know, I don't know, seven years, forever, of um, becoming an elder of the church. Um, and so this is a pro- pro- yeah, process that I believe started in Sebring um, years before they even moved to Ocala. And so today he's standing for his exam. So he's going to have to sit in front of a, sit at a table with a bunch of grumpy old men. They're going to ask him questions about the Bible. And uh, all he gets is the Bible and... Um, He's just got to answer their questions. Anything they want to ask him, he, he can be asked. And so that's um, part of the process, and it's happening this afternoon. Um, this, this, I, I hope this doesn't sound like a shot, and I, I don't mean it uh, that way at all. I've never seen Ryan more stressed or concerned about something before. I've never seen him afraid of anything, um, and he's nervous today. And as he's taken these steps forward... Um, over the last seven years, and particularly over the last couple of months, the enemy has done everything he possibly could um, to prevent um, Ryan from taking these steps of um, looking for acknowledgement and confirmation of his calling to ministry. Um, so I'd just like to give us an opportunity as a family. I know you probably won't be able to hear if you're watching the live stream, which I'm sorry, um, but I'd just like to give us an opportunity as a family to pray for them as our family. Um, and so... If you'd like to um, just stand where you are and pray for them um, out loud, then I'd encourage you to do that, and I'll, I'll close this time um, of prayer. Let's go before the Lord.
family, um, this, this church family, and for uh, their support, and thank you for um, their sweet prayers. And Lord, I thank you for the Gagnons and for the way that they have encouraged and strengthened us. And Lord, I thank you for the ministry that they have to those that are not in this room and who may never be in this room. I thank you that they point them to you. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you be with Ryan today as he stands for this exam. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, and now Ryan's going to take Kid Nation back. <laughs> we are a microwave generation. And, and there are people, uh, there are people who wouldn't work seven years for a college degree, um, much less for the, the work that he's been doing. So I'm, I'm super excited for them. Um, this morning, we're going to begin something new. First, I, I should say, good morning, church. And welcome, uh, welcome to our neighbors. Glad that you are here with us. And if this is your first time with us, it's a good morning to be here um, because we're starting something new. Um, we're starting a new sermon series, and uh, it's, it's going to be pretty, pretty interesting, I think. Have you ever been in a situation that kind of started, like you, you got into it because you really wanted to be in it, and then you got into it and you're like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And then the longer you're in it, you're like, this, this just keeps getting worse. Why am I still here? Like, what, what is going on here? You, you get into something, and it just goes from bad to worse to worse to worse. Like, where is the bottom here? Um, I asked her permission, especially because she's not in the room. Um, I asked her permission to tell this story. So Jesse and I, our date night is on Monday night. And if you don't know, Monday night is a terrible night for date night because everything in Ocala is closed. There are very few restaurants that are actually open. There's very few things to do, which actually like, is good because that means there's nowhere for us to go and spend money. Uh, so sometimes we just go to Wawa and get a coffee and walk around. But um, this, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we decided we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to find a restaurant to sit in. Maybe we'll order dessert. 
and uh, we're going to bring a board game. So we've got to find some place that's not like super highbrow. We're going to bring a board game and play a board game on our date in a restaurant. So we're like, oh, well, let's go to Panera. Panera has decaf coffee. That'll be great. So we start driving to Panera from here. And I'm geographically challenged, and so I start driving like I'm going to go down 200. Um, because that's the only Panera that I know is the one that's all the way down 200, which is a really long way from our house. And I make a wrong turn. And so now I'm frustrated because I hate it when I'm going the wrong direction. Um, and I especially hate it when I know that I'm going the wrong direction. The person that's with me knows I'm going the wrong direction, but neither one of us wants to say anything about it because we know how frustrated I already am, uh, which is now the situation that's going in the car. I took a wrong turn, um, but I'm mad about it. And Jesse is not. I'm like, what is going on? And so I'm like muttering under my breath and she's like, well, just, just turn here. I'm like, oh, sure. Now she's going to tell me how to drive. We're going to GPS this. Uh, some date this is going to be. And uh, we're driving. She's like, you're getting ready to pass it. And I look to my left and there's another Panera on 200 closer to our house. I was like, great. This is perfect. Like she has redeemed our date. I'm not going to be grumpy. Like we're going to get to where we want to go. We're going to play our board game, get some decaf coffee, date on the cheap. Awesome. Pull up. Lights are on. Great. There's a person sitting in the parking lot in the like to-go pickup order space. Like, all right, cool. Get up. Go to pull the door open. It's locked. Look at the door. Due to short staffing, we closed at seven today. The person that's sitting there waiting for food isn't waiting for food. They're waiting for the one person that's left to clean up the store so they can take them home. Like, oh gosh. Okay, so where are we going to go? So we get back in the car. We're like, all right, well, we'll go to Starbucks. Go around the corner to Starbucks. They also were closed. They did not have the courtesy of posting a sign of why they were closed. They just didn't have, they were just closed, which say what you want to say about Starbucks. I was not a fan. Um, So we're like, okay, what are we going to do next? Burger King, like they don't have coffee, but it'll be cheap and they won't care if we set up a board game. All right, let's go to Burger King. They also have their dining room closed. Just in case you wanted to know, Burger King's the one fast food restaurant that has not yet opened up their dining room, um, at least the one on 200 after COVID. All right, now we're going to McDonald's. Now I don't have, like, I don't know if I can explain to you because we only have like 30 minutes-ish in this sermon of like how much I loathe McDonald's. Like it is, of all of the places that I want to be in my life, McDonald's is at the very bottom of the list. And I'm like, they're going to be open, they're going to be cheap, and they're not going to care if I set up a board game. Go around McDonald's, it's open, awesome. Walk in there, it is freezing. It is like colder in the McDonald's than it is outside, and it was like a couple weeks ago when it was really cold outside, so I was frustrated by that because y'all know how I get cold. So we get in there, we get our, uh, get our French fries, and we set up the board game, and we're playing a board game. My wife and I are on a date. We're at the McDonald's, we're playing a board game. And this guy walks in and he kind of does a couple of laps around the restaurant. He doesn't sit down, doesn't order anything. He just kind of does a couple of laps around the restaurant. I'm sitting across the table with my wife. We are playing a board game. There is no other way I can communicate non-verbally that I don't want to talk to anybody else in this restaurant right now. Homie comes up to my table. You're a Christian? Yes, sir. I'm a Christian. Is that your truck outside? Uh, yeah, that's my truck outside. And then he begins a long diatribe about how Jesus told us that we should walk in the daylight and how it's, even though the world drives everywhere, that we as Christians are called to walk and we're supposed to walk everywhere and we should never, ever drive a car because the cars are the devil. Cool. I was like, look, bro, that's that verse that you're using out of context that I disagree with your interpretation of. It says, walk in the daylight. It's nighttime. I'm good to drive my truck. Have a good evening. Like, I'm going to do my day. 
Ever try to do something really, really good and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse? How do you pull out of that? And like the date night's kind of a, a funny story. Like the date ended up fine. Uh, Jesse has saved everything because she's wonderful. And, but what is that? Like sometimes that happens to us and sometimes that happens to us spiritually where we sign up for something that we think is going to be good for us, but as soon as we get into it, we realize, oh, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. And there's a group of people that when they came to Jesus, that's exactly their story. Um, they, they were a, a group of city folks. They lived in uh, like the capital city, so like Tallahassee. They lived in a, a little bit more of an urban area. It was developed. And this preacher guy comes in, he starts preaching Jesus. And they're like, well, I believe in, in the God of the Bible. And I believe that there's a Messiah coming. And this guy's saying that, that Jesus is it, and I, like, he's got some good proofs. So I'm going to buy into that. I'm going to follow this Jesus guy. I'm going to let him uh, wash away my sins permanently, and I'm going to follow him. And as they do that, uh, all of the other people in the town start to get angry. They start to riot. They begin to threaten the guy who's preaching, and they not only threaten the guy who's preaching, they, they take the guy, uh, so the preacher comes in, and he's staying in somebody's house. They take the guy who's, who's lodging them and begin to threaten him. Like they're, they're trying to cancel everything that's happening in their town. And so the preacher leaves and they're left here. Like we just made this commitment to Jesus and now everybody in the town hates us. Everybody's hostile to us and it doesn't let up. The longer they go, the more and more people hate them. The more they, they even mention that they're connected to Jesus, the harder and harder and harder it gets. They're in a dark world as children of light. And they're asking the question, how do we keep going? How do we persevere? How do we keep waking up in the morning to take one step and then the next? That's who I'd like to talk about a little bit this morning. If you would begin um, and uh, be, begin with me in, in prayer. Um, we'd like to pray the disciples' prayer. And um, it's helpful for us to use the same words. I'm using this out of the English Standard Version. Um, so I'd invite you to pray with me in your hearts at the very least, but you're also welcome to pray with me with your mouth. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. How do we live as children of light in a world of darkness? Um, I'd, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, a book called 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to be in chapter 5. Um, if you want to use these blue Bibles, they're probably tucked in a chair in front of you. It's on page 1230, 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1-2-3-0. 1
Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. So if you want the biblical answer to how it is that we continue to walk as children of light in a world of darkness, there it is. Build one another up, which is the name of our series, Building One Another. But it brings me to the, the key principle of what we're going to talk about this morning. And this is super simple, um, but I think we need to, to state it is that Jesus builds his body through his body. Jesus builds his body through his body. Michael, why, why would you even say that? Okay, how do you, if you wanted to build strength, if you wanted to get stronger, what would you need in order to, 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 to build strength? Weights, exercise equipment, gym, probably somebody who knows how to use all of those things to tell you how to do it right. You need all of those, like you take some weights, all right? So, so tell me, what benefit is it to your body if you acquire weights and bring them into your home? They really are just taking up space, throw them away. Like if you're actually going to build your body, what do you need to do? You need to use your body to build your body. Jesus builds his body through his body. Um, it's something that I think is counterintuitive to us a little bit. Um, we're like, oh, well, if I just buy the right things, if I get the right advice, then everything will get better. And it's like, no, like you actually have to pick things up. And it's actually the work. It's actually the, uh, the micro tears of the muscles that get to rebuild, that they rebuild you stronger. Like it's the exercising. It's the using of your body that strengthens your body. And if Jesus is going to build his body, the church, he's going to use his body, the church, to build his body. So Simple principle, um, but we're going to start there because it's going to get a little bit more uh, complicated. Not complicated. It doesn't get any more complicated. It's going to be a little bit more awkward for me to preach to you. So cards on the table. Let's be transparent. Jesus builds his body through his body. Now I'd like to read the rest of the verses that we're going to talk about. So uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'll read 11 again, and I'm going to read all the way down to verse 22. Therefore, Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. We'll pause there. So this series, Building One Another, goes through this, uh, this kind of a checklist. Um, this is at the end of this letter uh, that is written, and he finally is just like, okay, these are the things that you need to do. Of all the things that we've talked about, of all the concerns that we've raised, these are the things that you need to do, and it goes kind of through this bullet list. So this morning, I'd like to talk about those first two verses, verses 12 
and 13. I mean, it's a little bit awkward for me because I'm talking to you about how to relate to people who are in leadership within the church. So let me, let me alleviate my own awkwardness and say, I'm not talking about you and me. I'm talking about you and whoever your next pastor is, okay? Can we do that? Like I'm equipping you for future generations, all right? And, and, and you'll, you'll understand too where the inspiration for this series came from and how the application works out by the time we get through there. So we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. So if we're going to build one another up, if we're going to walk as children of light in a world of darkness, the first thing that, that um, the writer here is instructing us to do is to recognize, respect, and esteem highly the people who are in leadership, the people who are, are laboring over us. Um, Pastor Ben in uh, Sebring puts it this way, in Christ, we learn to place ourselves under spiritual authority. In Christ, we learn to place ourselves under spiritual authority, which submitting to authority is like, them's fighting words in our culture broadly, and sometimes in church in particular. Submit to authority. But in Christ, we learn to place ourselves under spiritual authority. If We're, we're not going to go anywhere unless somebody leads us there. And as we submit ourselves to Jesus, we acknowledge that Jesus actually sets up his body in an organized way. And he has some parts that are connected to other parts, and some parts lead other parts. A hand and fingers are very, very helpful, but without the elbow connecting it to the arm, then it doesn't quite work well. If we're all part of the body and each member needs one another, there are some parts that lead other parts. And that's not wrong. That's just the way that it is. Has it, been, has it gone wrong before? Yes. Has it gone wrong in my life? Yes. Has it gone wrong in your life? Probably. I'm going to assume that it has, but the, that does not, we, shall, we shouldn't then erase the principle and say that spiritual leadership doesn't exist. But we say, it's gone wrong, how can it be redeemed? Can, will Jesus do that? Um, yeah. I typically, as I ask application questions, I on purpose word them as we statements. Uh, just behind the curtain a little bit. If I'm going to ask an application question, I want you to think about it, but I also, I also tend to ask it as a we statement and assume that you read that we statement as an I statement. So it's, it's nicer if I say, should we do this, than if I say, should you do this? Um, but I couldn't escape an I, an I application um, this week. Do I allow others who are following Jesus lead me? Do I allow others who are following Jesus lead me? And I can, like, let me, as you think through and chew on that a little bit, like, this is a question that I have answered negatively in the last couple of months. Something came up and we were talking, I was talking with somebody who's not even in church. And they said something about, like, when you're singing in the church and the people behind you, like, have, are really tone deaf. Like, doesn't it bug you when you're trying to sing in church and people who sing around you, they're bad at it? And I'm like, no. And I realized I have not really been led in worship for like 12 years. That's been my role by and large, but mostly I'm, I'm doing that. And I don't get people that, I can't, that are right in my ear singing. And I realize I don't let others who are following Jesus lead me. I need to be in control. That's a problem. That's part of the reason why I am going through this series because I also need to learn it. 
Do I allow others who are following Jesus lead me? And that's why we read together from Romans chapter 13. There's a principle that all authority that exists uh, under heaven on this side of the sun is given by God for good or for ill. And we can disagree all we want, but it doesn't change that God put people in charge who are in charge politically, in church, uh, at your workplace, in your school. If your principal of your school has authority, it's because God gave it to you. And whether they acknowledge that or not, the way that the Bible talks about people who are in leadership says that they are servants of God. They're doing God's will, whether they mean to or not. And that opens a whole can of words, of so a whole can of worms about sovereignty and how God controls people and what do we do with free will. And I'm not going to get into any of that. I'm just going to say the principle is there and we do well to acknowledge it. The, the instruction here is to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So respect. Respect people who are in leadership. Do I have respect for people who are in leadership? Sure. Um, there's a whole group of people that have respect for like pastors because as soon as they understand that you're a pastor, they immediately stop cursing. There's something about like, I can't curse in front of a pastor. I don't understand it. I'm tempted to drop a curse word just to prove my point, but I'm not going to do it, which is probably another me problem. <clears throat> do we have respect for people in leadership? Yeah. Yeah, most of the times we do, but esteem them highly in love. Do I esteem people in leadership highly in love? I don't know. That's kind of, I don't know how I feel about that. I've had some pretty crummy pastors. Yeah, me too. What, what do we do? Okay, let's, let's take ourselves out of the equation. Let's take ourselves out of the equation for a minute, and let's look at what was actually happening in the text. Can we talk about the relationship between the authors and the recipients of this letter? The author, his name was uh, Paul, whom you're probably familiar with. He was an apostle. He was a church planner. He went around and started churches all over the Mediterranean right after Jesus went back to heaven. And he started the church in a city called Thessalonica. First Thessalonians, the first letter that we have from Paul to the church, the Christians that are in Thessalonica. It was the capital city of the province. So think, yeah, think Tallahassee or uh, Richmond in Virginia. Like it's the capital city of the province. And he talks about the relationship. He talks about how um, they got along. And I'm going to read it for you. It's in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2. So I'm going to go backwards if you want to flip your page there or navigate there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. So I didn't come to you... Uh, uh, and it wasn't fruitless. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, a different city, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. There was a lot of conflict going on and we were boldly declaring the, the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. 
For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So there's a description of the relationship between the leader who's writing and the recipients who he's encouraging to follow. He's saying, look, like you guys know how I was among you. I was, I was gentle. I was truthful. I was honest. And I didn't do it just to line my pockets. It wasn't for, it wasn't for greed that I came and tried to plant this church. God's my witness. I wasn't out for the paycheck. Um, and it wasn't flattery. I w- wasn't flattery. I wasn't trying to just get good with you so that you would then tell me how great I am. Like, that's not what I'm about. I'm here approved by God giving you the message of God. And I was gentle as a mother, like a nursing mother. I labored among you. I worked with my own hands to provide for myself so that I would not be a burden. And I was direct with you as a father. Gentle as a mother, direct as a father. Do we know that there's a difference between what happens with moms when moms are taking care of kids and what happens with dads when dads are taking care of kids, right? There's a little bit of a difference. Moms um, are, are gentle and kind and they'll give like good fruit. Okay, generally, they'll give good fruit. You can't really see in this picture, but mom's handing an apple to the one child and like giving him a hug and embracing him. And what's dad doing? Dad's chucking the kid a mile in the air. Let's rough them up. There's a difference between how mothers and fathers parent and and children need both of those things. And here Paul is saying, I did both. I was gentle with you. I came to you humbly. I came gently. I spoke softly, but I was direct. I encourage you. Hey, cut it out. Stop it. This is the way we're going to go now. You said you want to follow Jesus. This is the way we're going to go. I was humble and gentle as a mother, and I was direct as a father. as a parenting metaphor. And here, here is where the inspiration for this series came. So I don't, I don't always, we're super behind the curtain and under the hood this morning. I don't always talk about this. Um, this series actually came out of our dinnertime conversations. Um, about a year ago, I came across this passage, and as I came across this passage, I I understood that um, there were some issues going on in our house. Can I just say that? There were some issues going on in our house that I felt like these verses really, really applied to. And I felt like our our, our children had forgotten the labor of love that that their mother was putting into them. And so every night at dinner for, I think, two or three weeks, as we, we prayed, and then we'd read these verses in particular. Be, be mindful of your mother. <laughs> we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. We have a tendency to overlook those that we lead. We have a tendency to overlook those who are leading us. I, I said that completely wrong. We have a tendency to overlook those who are leading us and assume that, A, they're kind of grumpy and they always have something, they have some kind of burr, uh, up their butt, and I don't like when they tell me what to do, and I wish they would just leave me alone. Like, we have a tendency to overlook the people who are leading us, and the, the passage here is encouraging us to consider what it's like to lead you. What is it like to be somebody who has to lead you? 
That's what I was trying to get my kids to understand. Like, you're not easy to lead. You're not easy to love some days. This morning was one of those mornings. Can I get an amen? Sometimes you're not easy to lead. And so, so the, Paul is writing here and just says, hey, brothers, we ask you to respect those who labor among you. Think, think about this too for, for, for the context. Paul came in as a gifted preacher, as that mother figure, as that father figure. He started this church and very quickly was chased off. Very quickly he had to leave. But as he left, he appointed others to take care of uh, the church. And so the leaders that he's asking them to respect are the leaders who are not him. Hey, you, you guys probably feel like you got second string, third string now because I got, I got chased off. Have respect for those people. They're working hard. They're sweating bullets about how to lead you, how to love you. What is, it that we need to, what is it that we need to share from the word to encourage you and exhort you that you might follow Jesus and be encouraged? Like, have respect for those people. Esteem them highly in love. And our picture of leadership uh, oftentimes comes from the world. But I'm reminded that Jesus' picture of leadership uh, is very different and the night that he was betrayed, his disciples gathered together with him in the upper room and they started an argument. It probably had to do with where they were going to sit at the table, but they had a long conversation about who's the greatest disciple? Who's the greatest follower of Jesus? Who's number one? Like, of course, like the rabbi gets the first seat, but like, which of us, which, which of us like is the, is the valedictorian? And in that context, the rabbi gets up from his seat and wraps a towel around his waist and he washes their feet. The greatest leaders in the kingdom are servants. So what do we do? What do we do with all of that? Will we pray for those who lead? Where we commit and say, I, I pray for these people. I acknowledge that their job is not easy. They have to figure out how to talk to people that are outside and they have to figure out how to help reconcile people who are having problems inside. They're straddling all these, all these things, trying to hold everything in tension. There's a mark on their back for spiritual attack. I've seen it as, as Ryan has stepped forward and say, I, I think God is calling me to lead this body that the enemy came at all sides. Every member of his family has, has suffered greatly in the last couple of months. Will we pray for those who lead? In the church, sure. In the family, pray for your mom. <laughs> At work, <clears throat> perhaps even we could pray for people that are in leadership in the government. 1 Timothy chapter 2, the first four verses there, says it's actually the will of God for us to pray for people who are in leadership of our country, whether we agree with them or not, whether they're good at their job or not. Maybe we should do that. Respect. Esteem very highly in love. There's, there's kind of a, an attitude <laughs> where... You can look at a, a pastor and maybe some, some of these guys, I don't know. I'm not even going to say that. That wasn't even my note. I'm going to skip all of that. But what's the end of that verse? Be at peace among yourselves. If we're asking the question, what's it like 
for, for what's it like to lead me? He closes that with, be at peace among yourselves. If there's a problem that you could possibly humble yourself to reconcile without having to involve the leader, hey, do that. Be at peace among yourselves. Well, isn't that his job? Isn't he supposed to sort out conflict? Isn't he supposed to make sure that everybody's on the right page? Isn't he supposed to make them do what they're supposed to do? Maybe. Or maybe you've got a burr about it because the Spirit is calling you to do it and you to reconcile. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus says in Matthew 6. And together we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Which is not to say that to be at peace among yourselves means that there is no conflict. There is no disagreement among yourselves. Um, the, the, the Hebrew word shalom doesn't mean that there is no conflict, that there is, there is no strife, there is no suffering, but that there is peace in the midst of a turbulent world. Be at peace among yourselves isn't like just don't, don't disagree ever, but rather do we look at conflict as an opportunity to grow? Do we look at disagreement as an opportunity to grow and say, they're doing that, and I don't understand why they're doing that. Maybe if I ask them about it, I'll learn something, and we both can be stronger. Maybe if they hurt me, and they don't know they hurt me, if I go and tell them they hurt me, then we have an opportunity to grow in our relationship together because they didn't know, and I didn't tell them. And when I told them, they, they, they repented immediately and asked for forgiveness. We are really quick to forget that, that the, the chapter of the Bible that we preach at weddings most often about unconditional love actually was written for the context of how we're supposed to interact with one another in a congregation. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy, does not boast. It keeps no record of wrongs. Do we approach conflict as an opportunity to grow? And if you do, approach conflict as an opportunity to grow. Perhaps the Spirit is inviting you into a role of leadership. Perhaps, perhaps he's, he's setting you apart. Because Jesus builds his body through his body. He uses his body to encourage and build up his body. And leaders are part of that. The danger in preaching a passage like this is it's a checklist. And if you're a Pharisee in your heart like me, you can look at a checklist and go, oh, I can do that. I'm going to pray for Joe Biden every day this week. Here we go. And I, and I can feel really good about that. But this passage actually has a balance to it. And so as we go through and as we learn these practical things that we really ought to be implementing and praying through, there's a balance. As it closes in verses 23 and 24, there's a balance of who ultimately is doing the work in us. In us. And so as I close here, I'm going to read it. And then as we close our time together, I'll probably read it again. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now... May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit 
and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we've danced across a number of different issues. Conflicts in our soul. And Lord, we acknowledge that we are whole persons and you, you are making us new. And so Lord, in, in these places, I pray that you would ask, you would draw us in to wrestle with you. God, show us why you say what you say. Reveal in us the heart attitudes that need to change. And you, God, the master surgeon, would you cut the parts of us that are dead, that are the old man out? Would you make us new? Would you wash us clean? For those of us who are leaders, would you remind us of the balance between mothers and fathers to be gentle and direct and above all to be a servant to all. Would you help us to remember to pray for those who are leading us? And would you call those clearly and directly those that you want to step into leadership? Would you help us to see every conversation, every conflict, every disagreement as an opportunity to grow? And you have made us one. In you we overcome. Let nothing separate us from your love. And would your love bind us together? It's in your name we pray. Amen. We'll take a few minutes uh, and reflect on how God's speaking this morning. If there's something you need to write down, um, then it's a good time to do that. But we'll spend some time in prayer and reflecting before we close together in singing. Thank you.